about 10 years ago, God told me to write about the life of David, which um, was this incredible journey simply because of the fact that you get so into um, the motivations and the characters behind, you know, why people made, because all these people in the Old Testament, they're doing all these cool things. They're real people making real choices from real woundings because, you know, typically when we make a choice, it's from something in our life, you know, take this road or this road. And, um, and that was just uh, probably one of the most eye-opening things for me. Um, but uh, we've talked, we first, first week we talked about Saul, and we talked about how Saul believed in his calling as king, but he never believed in his identity as king. And um, he was given everything he needed to succeed because God doesn't want us to fail. He doesn't set us up to fail. And, you know, I think Saul tried in the best in his ability, but he um, has this nice, steady diet of fear that he likes to feed on. And we see it a lot more in this part of his life. Um, Spirit leaves him. It enters David. And David is trained on the hillside by God. And I, especially, today was just so good. But it's it's a shuck Sunday. Um, That was my husband leading worship. Um, But so, you know, he, gosh, his heart before the Lord got so tenderized and he, he, um, we did this last week where it was like, you know, he's this young boy and he's like learning how to fight because he's bored and he's, you know, just throwing the same slingshot at the same target all day because that's what it looked like for him, you know, you know, doing his own theme music while he's out there on the hillside, you know, I mean, just basically being trained by the Lord. Um, he goes into Saul's house, loves Saul like a father, um, until it is very obvious that Saul wants to kill him. See, that it's kind of the pattern of an abuser. Like something kind of happens and you're kind of like, maybe they didn't mean it. You know what I mean? And, and then, you know, finally it gets to the point where it's like, all right, the two spears were both meant for me, so I think I'm going to leave. So bless his heart, David is on the run. He's gone to Rama and now... You know, he's dealing with the, with the whole fact of this is, the, this is my prophetic word from God. I'm supposed to be king. And I was right there, and I had it, and it was, it was right here, and I had it. And now I'm facing away from the mountain. Has anyone read Hind's Feet on High Places before? <laughs> it's a short read. If you could read it, it's really, really amazing. It's an allegory. Um, but it's... You know, you're facing right, you're right there at the foot of the mountain. You're about to start climbing with the Lord. You're like, I'm about to go up to the high places. And he's like, no, there's the desert. And you're like, what? And so that's poor David is at that place right now. And um, right after this happens, he goes to Jonathan, which I like to call, call the divine bromance. And he's like, your dad's trying to kill me. I didn't do anything. He says it in Psalms. He says, you know, he says it to God. He says it to Jonathan. The two, basically the closest people in his life, he and Jonathan have fought side by side. All these times that, you know, you've got Saul trying to passive aggressively kill David. <laughs> Jonathan's going with him every time. You know, he's going to battle and coming back victorious. Well, it's him and Jonathan. I like see them like, 
you know, the dwarf and Legolas in Lord of the Rings, and they're like counting, like, I'm up to 20. That one counts as one, you know? <laughs> the entire time, just this amazing bromance they've got going on. And so, you know, when this all happens, David goes to Jonathan and he's just like, what have I done? Like, tell me if there's anything that I've done. And um, Jonathan, you know, it's like, it's not even possible, like, that my dad would do this. He would have told me. And David's like, there's no way because we're super close. And your dad, last time you tried to kill my dad, your dad told you that you were going to kill me. He, you warned me. And so he knows better. Um, so Jonathan tests his father. And um, I want to say to highlight the way that Saul responds to Jonathan simply because there's so much in what we're about to talk about that is like literally written in the word of God that it's, it's, it's shocking. Um, so Jonathan says, you know, tell me what I can do to help you. He goes to his father and when his father gets mad at him, he says, you stupid son of a whore. Don't you think, do you think that I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. This, I think, is, a for, is, is, is kind of a picture of what Jonathan's life is going to look like from here on out. He's, you know, I mean, imagine what that must look like for him. Having to be in this place of, like, your, your father no longer trusts you, but you're his heir. I mean, in, in my mind, he's kind of kept under lock and key, kept away from, you know, in a place of, because you, you no longer see him in Saul's inner circle. So David leaves with a contingency of men. I can imagine Jonathan just being like, look, go with him. I, I see what's on his life. I see, I see who he is. He has this revelation of who David is. And thus begin the battle years, or as I like to call them, the passive-aggressive years. They're traveling so much and fighting so many little battles, it's hard to kind of to keep them all straight. Um, but when David leaves, he goes to the temple. He's running with his few men that he has. And he meets with the priest, Ahimelech. And he just says, we need sustenance because we're, we're running for, you know, to battle and we you know, need weapons. So Ahimelech, who has served David in the past, you know, has sought the Lord for him. He's you know, has no idea what's happened with Saul. He doesn't know of the falling out. He doesn't know that Saul's angry. Gives him the ceremonial bread, gives him Goliath's sword, which, well, duh, he kind of earned it. And David goes on his merry way. David also, oh, sorry. During this time, David's taking refuge in many places. And something I want to note is that you never hear him speak about Saul when he's in any of these places. He allows his host to infer the relationship between him and Saul or infer the relation, you know, the reasons for him being there. The only time that David ever talks about his situation with Saul is when he's accused and he declares his innocence. Um, but the, the important part about this, I, I was setting that up with David, but I want to go back into talking about Saul here because so much of what is happening is really about Saul. David, David, bless his heart, is actually kind of a choir boy through like the first part of his life, the second part of his life. When I was writing my screenplay and I was submitting it to all these people 
in, you know, film school, they're all like, we kind of like Saul better than David. He's more, you know, he's more interesting. You know, he's more relatable. He's dealing with more things that I feel like I deal with. And David always seems to have the right answer all the time. He's that like obnoxious guy that you're just like, oh my God, he can't, he's not making any mistakes. Um, but I mean, that's why I love talking about Saul and I have so much, I have such a heart for the struggle that he went through, even as he's declining. Um, so like I said, Saul's got a steady diet of fear. Fear in the morning, fear in the evening, fear at supper time. To the point that it's like, it's, it's now full-blown paranoia. And he's sitting on a hillside waiting to hear about, you know, what possibly is going with David. And he's just looking, he's got like a small, like he's just got like armor bearers around him. And he's like, you're all against me. What has he given you? And he just starts like, he starts, the way that he starts talking and the words that he uses he, he even says to them, you're not even sorry for me. Like his, he's so concerned with, with nobody's protecting him and he has to protect himself. And, and I mean, if you, if you, if you're talking to somebody who says, you're not even sorry for me, I mean, where is their focus? (laughs) Typically, you know, he, he's kind of lost it at this point. I mean, we've, every time before this, we've seen him deal with David it always, the word always says, and Saul and fear entered Saul. Something happens with David and fear entered Saul. So that's, that's what he's, again, been chewing on. One of his men is trying to calm him down or just trying to get in with the boss and tells him that he heard about Ahimelech giving him the ceremonial bread and helping his men. So Saul calls the priest, he calls Ahimelech and his family. He says, I want you to come to the palace. And he's like, did you help David? And Ahimelech is like, yes, I've done this many times before. And um, Saul decides that he needs to have him killed and his family. And then, out of his paranoia for the rest of the priests, he kills 85 priests, their families, their wives, their children, their livestock, everything. Which again makes me think of Star Wars. But I'm not going to go there. <laughs> um, it it's you st- you see like his 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 it's it's his moral decline. He's he's lost his compass. He's kind of lost his way to the point that he's just. I mean, God asked him to kill the Amalekites. He didn't even kill all of them. But Saul is so enraged at the fact that someone mistakenly helped David that he slaughters the priests. So David is so grieved by this. He hears of a town nearby that's being plundered. And so he's, he and his men, he inquires of the Lord, should we go and should we save them? And God says, yes. His men, if you remember Saul, his men actually say to him, we don't think it's a good idea to go. We don't want to go. So David goes back to the Lord and he says, should we go? And God says, yeah, you should go. And so Saul had always made decisions based upon the fear of the men around him. But David inquires the Lord, knows they're going to win, and rallies his men to actually go into a scary place. So they get there to save the Israelites, and instead of coming to thank him, Saul tries to come and kill him. And thus begins the manhunt across the countryside. Um, Jonathan comes in secret to try and warn David, my dad's trying to kill you, he's trying to, 
you know, come against you. He says to him, I know that you're to be king. I'm going to rule alongside you. Like, I'm going to be right there with you. And they make another covenant before the Lord. Their friendship is so beautiful. And I love how Jonathan, he's willing to lay down his right for the, for the anointing of God, for, the, for the, the message and the calling of God. And, and if you don't understand the depth of that, I mean, this, this, all, this whole story of David and the people that surround him really does talk a lot about that. Let's go back to Samuel, okay, in the very beginning. Samuel's doing a great job ruling Israel, you know? His sons, not so much. But Samuel's doing a really great job. It's really what God has set up and what he wants to have you know, as a government for his people. And the people come and they're like, we want a king. And he's like, cool. So he goes and asks the Lord. He's like, Lord, do they want a king? I don't think it's a very good idea. God's like, I don't think it's a good idea either, but give it to them. Samuel's basically in the place of king, of the king. And he hands over his authority because God asked him to. And what's even more amazing and beautiful than that is that when Saul fails, he doesn't try to take it back. He even goes as far as to listen to the Lord again and try it out and take a risk on another rookie that has no idea what he's doing because God asked him to. His faith, his, you know, his willingness to bend when God asks him to is just this beautiful thing of just going low and going under. Um, the Lord during this time is keeping David one step ahead of Saul. Saul almost catches him, but the Philistines start attacking somewhere else, and he's called away, like literally like right there before. God's keeping him hidden the whole time, which is beautiful. And I love, how, I love how that's a picture of just how things go on in the world. And we're like, why is that happening? And God's like, I've got this big picture. The Philistines are attacking over here, but it's going to be okay because I'm hiding this over here. We get into the place. Okay, now David spares Saul's life for the first time. Oh, David. Saul leaves his throne to pursue. So he's, he's gone after David. Then he goes back, fights the Philistines, and he's like, now i got to go back after David again. I'm wondering at this point what Saul's reign could have looked like if he would have maintained his focus on what the call was rather than on the fact that he had an offense and he was angry. You know what I mean? I mean, the Lord had said that your reign will end, but did it have to end that badly? Do you know what I mean? Like crashing and burning badly? So Saul goes to a cave to relieve himself. And David and his men are hiding in there. And David notices that it's him, goes in, cuts off the hem of his garment. And immediately after this happens... He knows. He's like, oh, God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, like, just been talking and you say something and all of a sudden you go, nope. <laughs> oh, cool. Just me. <laughs> he, David has this understanding of what a culture of honor looks like. And I'll get to more of that in a bit. But when Saul's a safe distance away, he calls to him. And uh, he says, do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. 
For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand, it is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off and I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I've not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. Saul calls back, is that really you, my son, David? And he begins to cry. And David says, you know, he says, you are a better man than I am because you have repaid me good for evil. Now I realize that you're surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Swear to me by the Lord that when this happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line. And then Saul goes home. And then he gets all stirred up and he decides to go back after David. Demons. So he, he gets, he gets. <laughs> Demons. So Saul gets 3,000 men to come after David, who's got about 600 at this time. Men are, men are joining him here and there. Um, and they're all encamped together. I mean, 3,000 men encamped. And David sneaks into the camp in the middle of the night because God's on his side. It says, God put all the men into a deep sleep because that's crazy. So he sneaks in there. He's right there. Like there's, there's literally a spear in the ground next to Saul's head. And the guy that's with him is like, okay, we can do just what I don't only have to do it twice. I'll just do it once. I got him. And David says, don't kill him for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one. Everyone's like, there it is. He gets a safe distance away and he calls out. And now, I mean, now he's kind of mocking Abner because Abner, it's like Saul and the commander of his army. And he yells at Abner and he's like, well, Abner, you're a great man, aren't you? Where in all of Israel is there anyone so mighty? So why haven't you guarded your master, the king? I've got a spear. So he just, ooh. I kind of love that David's like, this guy? I did better than this guy. (laughs) Bet you want to kill me. It's whatever. David, you know, Saul recognized David's voice and he goes, is that you, my son, David? I love that his, that his language, they, their language toward each other becomes very obvious at this point. Like up until now, you're like, yes, Saul is jealous of David. But David clearly calls him his father. He clearly tells you about this is the relationship that they had. You know, David didn't have a lot of time to get to know his own earthly father. He was, he was spending two weeks, a month at a time on the hillsides. You know, the father was his father. And then he comes in the palace, and as he's trained on the hillside by the Lord, then he starts kind of getting trained in what kingdom looks like by Saul, whether or not that was the correct way to do it. Who knows? Maybe that's why God had to turn him away, because he was taking too much in from Saul. I'm not sure. Inference. Um, but Saul confesses, I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you, for you valued my life today. I've been a fool and very, very wrong. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, no, Saul wasn't a quick learner. 
Blessings on you, my son David. You will do many heroic deeds and you will surely succeed. Then Saul went home to think again. Hang out with his demons. Listen to, listen to the wrong voice, you know. Um, battle comes now. And I'm skipping a lot of interesting things that happen in David's life during this time. Um, you know, he actually is, is, he, you know, is running with the Philistines. Actually, He's actually hanging out with the Philistines. And they're keeping him guarded during this season. But during the entire time he's with them, he and his men are running out and they're actually fighting the enemies of Israel and they're killing everyone and they're coming back and they're like, yeah, we killed a bunch of stuff today. Hey, we brought you some stuff. So they're actually working for Saul in a way or working for the kingdom of Israel, but um, the Philistine king thinks that they're working for him. Crazy. So the Philistines decide to go to war with Israel and they invite David to come along. But when they get there, everyone sees that David and all of his men are there and they're like, uh, I'm a little bit nervous about that guy. What if he turns on us in battle? So David and his guys leave, but Saul has come to battle. You have Saul, Philistines. They outnumber Saul, and Saul starts to freak out. And he's asking the Lord, are we going to win? Are we going to, what's going to happen? And nothing. Nothing but silence. And I mean, even if there were any priests left, I'm not exactly sure if he could find one at this point. Shot yourself in the foot there. So he decides to consult a medium. And this is when it gets really crazy. Because he's outlawed mediums, so like you, he, actually has to, he actually has to have them search one out because they're all in hiding. So the woman asks him, she said, whose spirit do you want me to call up? And he says, call up Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. Oh, so Samuel comes back. Because that's normal. Here's necromancy. It's in the Bible. And Saul starts talking with Samuel, who's back from the dead. And saying, you know, I need to, I, the Lord wouldn't talk to me. So I, so can you tell me what to do? <laughs> the Philistines are at war with me and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I've called you to tell me what to do. And Samuel replies, why ask me since the Lord has left you and become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn your kingdom from you and given it to your rival, David. The Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me because I'm dead. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. What? That's in the Bible, y'all. I, re- I, re- I, like, I was reading through this like, the first time, and I was just like, what just happened? And what Samuel says actually comes true. The next day, Saul gets caught in battle, gets cut down by arrows, and falls on his own sword because he doesn't want to be taken captive. 
And the same thing happens with Jonathan and two of his brothers. And David's so grieved over the loss of his friend. And he's so, gr- he's so grieved over the loss of the king. Because everything that was going on, he still loved him. And he still saw him. I, I, I always called this the battle years, but it, it really struck me this time that David and Saul never fight. They never actually go to battle against each other. They never draw swords. And David continually gives Saul a chance to choose better and to choose to be better rather than punish him for what he's done. And what Jeremy was saying about being an image bearer, it's like he was, they gave him like the, the, the Saul was like, you're an armor bearer. And David the entire time was like, yeah, I'm kind of an image bearer. I can't even believe sometimes the understanding that David had of, of who God was. To the, I mean, Lord, I can't tell you. It was like five minutes into leadership before I like realized I had to like write letters to all of my past leaders and apologize and or tell them what a good job they were doing. Because <laughs> it's hard, you know, but every step of the way he keeps, he makes these decisions that show a knowledge and a wisdom of God's ways and of who he is that is that is just astounding to me. I mean, how did he know how to maintain a culture of honor without reading a Danny Silk book? <laughs> you know, what does that mean? What is that, what, the whole culture, what does that mean? And it, it, I think a lot of us think it looks like talking up the people around us when a lot of times it's actually about learning what not to say and what to do rather than just, because I can stand up here and I can tell you how great Chuck is. I know. (laughs) I can go on and on about Vincent. (laughs) Hours. But at the end of the day, I keep watching David and he never declares to be an enemy of Saul. Like, there's, there's propaganda. There's a guy literally trying to kill him. His, like, Saul's entire life becomes consumed by trying to ruin David's life and David's claim as king, his destiny. Do you know what I'm saying? Ooh. And, and it doesn't work because God has proclaimed the destiny over David's life. And nothing that anyone else does, no propaganda, can ruin that destiny. In your life, there is someone whose entire focus is about taking down your destiny and ruining everything that God has said over your life. Nothing that he does to try and wound you or put things in your path or say about you negates what he has said about who you are and the destiny that he has over your life. It may look like going away from the mountain for a little while. But it doesn't mean that you aren't who he says you are or that you're not going to get to the place that you're supposed to go. Mm. Oh, he can make you lose focus. And you see that even with David later in his life. 
when he no longer sees the he no longer sees the path and he kind of loses focus and he's staring at something he shouldn't be staring at. And you notice when that happens, he there becomes an inability in his life for someone to speak truth to him. I mean, someone is eventually able to break through, but part of hmm, I get there. There. David has this understanding of leadership, okay? And God kind of showed it to me like a flying V. So you've got, you've got your head bird, and they're, they're breaking the headwinds, right? And even though physically sometimes we may shift position, and, you know, like right now, I'm sitting here, and I'm like doing my deal, and I'm talking, and I'm talking about Jesus. But spiritually, that V never changes, so... What Tracy and John Eckert are breaking all the headwind, I just kind of like, oh, you feel that breeze? That was the enemy coming against me, but it's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like I get, to, I get to walk in a place of safety because the covering above me is actually taking hits for me. You know, I tell Jeremy all the time, we get to, I mean, our job is so easy. <laughs> you know? We haven't faced half the backlash we probably should have, you know, from the enemy for the things that we walk in because John and Tracy Eckert are above us, you know, taking, taking the hard stuff, taking a lot of the hits so that for us it's kind of like what may have been like a fall is actually a stumble. Because leadership is covering. And I've experienced before there's been a place where, you know, in my venting, I uncover my covering, and literally, you guys, like in that moment, I feel the covering remove, and until I repent, it needs, it doesn't come back to this place. You know what I mean? But don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. Venting is necessary, husbands. If she's going off on the things that are, that are troubling her, she doesn't need you to fix it in that moment. Sometimes it just needs to come out because if you hold a bunch of stuff in, it becomes bitterness. Then again, if weeks later she's still venting about the same problem, it's probably because it's becoming bitterness. You see the, you see the both sides of it? But the, the, the importance about venting or what, you watch what David does. The people that he goes to whenever, you know, when everything goes to hell. He goes to the Lord in Psalms, and you welcome him to go at David, I mean Jonathan, who is his best friend, the closest person to him, who actually is like, I don't know if that's correct. Do you know what I mean? He's kind of testing him. He's like, I'll go check, and I'll come back. If you're venting to somebody who does not have the ability to tell you you're wrong, that's not who you should be venting to. <laughs> There need to be people in our lives who are allowed to tell us when we're going off the, the edge, the deep end. I've been, in, I've been in fun conversations with, you know, Jeremy has people in his life where, you know, I've actually heard the close people in his life. He's like, he's like, he's like blah, blah, blah. And essentially like, dude, you're so wrong. <laughs> My son's actually started making that noise. And I was like, where did he get that? And Jeremy's like, 
Anyway, some of you might be asking yourself about this whole culture of honor thing, you know. Silly Ashley, laws are for the old covenant. And they're like, yes, they are. But the promises endure. You know, God makes a promise. Honor your father and mother and all will go well with you. You know what I mean? If you give, it will be given. You know, there are certain promises that God made that they aren't necessarily, they're not laws. They're actually blessings from God. If so, then. So it's, we're not maintaining a law by covering people the way David covered Saul. We're actually, we're actually stepping into the promise of the Lord for faithfulness in our life and covering in our lives. I don't know if you remember back the first time that, you know, David spares Saul's life. Saul says to him, he says, honor my family, don't kill my descendants. And even though right after that, Saul comes, you know, he goes away, he comes back to kill David again. Saul has broken his promise. But David keeps his. No matter how unworthy Saul was at every turn of his loyalty or his honor, David remained a man of honor. And so after years, after finally, I mean, David doesn't even raise his sword to the army of Israel until after Saul's death. And that's its own set of issues. But after he does become king, he asks his advisors, he's like, who, who is there? you know, of David's family that's left over. Who can I, who can I honor? And they find uh, Mephibosheth, who is, you know, dropped and crippled as a child. And David, I mean, it's, it's easy to find some son of Jonathan that's some strapping man, but you know, this guy is basically living with somebody else. His life has not been easy. It hasn't looked the way the son of a king or a son of a, a prince would look. And David decides to honor not just Jonathan, but to honor Saul. He very clearly says that and brings him into his table and brings him into basically his family. He's honored like a son of David. For a man that didn't, I mean, yes, it's Jonathan's son, but Saul didn't deserve that kind of honor. In our minds and the way that we walk things out, Saul had done everything wrong. He'd wounded him. You know, he'd, he'd constantly turned his back on him. He'd constantly said, I am your father, you are my son, but I'm not going to treat you that way. His words were shallow. Let's pray. God, we love you. We love your promises. We're so grateful for your promises, the things that you speak over our life, the things you say about who we are, how you fight for our destiny, even when everything else is against us. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for your ways. We're so thankful for the way that you cover us. Jesus, you're a good dad. Thank you that when we haven't been faithful, that you've kept your promise over us. That when our hearts have strayed, Lord God, that you've still been who you say you are. And you've still seen us as who you say we are. 
Jesus, help us to walk in the promise. Help us to honor and cover the way David did. We love you, God. We bless you. Amen.